Thanks for the introduction, Joe. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited. As Joe said, I'm Rainer. I work for Salt Company and up in Ames. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm from Minnesota originally, so I came down to Iowa State for college a few years ago. Um, if I could double down on something Joe said, too, I got saved taking Gospel 101. Um, grew up in the church, grew up around Jesus, but never really fully understood the Gospel. So I would definitely recommend taking Gospel 101. Got baptized then, I guess, a couple months after taking Gospel 101. Led a connection group throughout Salt Company, and now I get to serve as a staff member up in Ames. But I'm really excited, so thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to be continuing the Who is Jesus series. We're going to be looking at Matthew 9. So if you have a Bible, turn it on and go to Matthew 9. While you're um, clicking there, I have a couple questions for you guys. Firstly, have you ever met someone that you didn't like? You don't have to raise your hand, but like, especially if they're next to you. Um, or if we flip it, like, have you ever met someone who didn't like you? So this happens to me all the time, working for Salt Company up in Ames. Um, I can tell people don't like me because I'm walking up in the foyer and all of a sudden I'm like starting a conversation with them. They're kind of like looking over my shoulder, kind of like twitchy-eyed, and I can just tell they're looking for any way to get out of the conversation, like anyone, anyone else to talk to, anyone better to talk to. And there is a slight bummer that's happening at Salt Company, the place where people should be kind and inviting, but... There's a specific story I was thinking of um, from last summer where I saw a guy walking into Salt Company alone. And I thought the nicest thing to do would be go in and sit with him, invite him in, hang out, get to know him a little bit. So I kind of, I see him sit down, I kind of gesture at the seat. I'm like, he's like, yeah. And just this awkward interaction where I'm like, I don't know if he wants me to sit here, but I'm already kind of too far in. Uh, so I'm like, how's it going, man? So I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, how's it going, man? And again, he kind of like pulls out his phone as he looks, he's like, good. And I could just tell this dude doesn't want to talk to me, but I'm already sitting there. I'm not going to get up and leave, right? That would make it worse. So he gets up and leaves. Um, <laughs> and I see him talking to his friend later. He's like, we got to go way over there so we don't have to talk to randos. And I'm like hearing this. He doesn't say anything to me. He just leaves. And I don't know. I'm telling you for two reasons. One, because it's funny. But, but two, because I walked in thinking that guy needed a friend. I walked in thinking he was alone. No one wants to sit alone at Salt Company, kind of a vibe. Uh, but now I'm sitting in the back corner, dozens of open chairs around me, and I'm just kind of the loner back there. It was a very convicting moment that I was like, oh, I'm never too far away that I don't need a friend as well. So then I end up getting upright and finding another person to sit with. It all works out, but... Maybe you've never had someone who's kind of straight up walked away uh, while you're trying to talk to them, but maybe you've had that first scenario where you're talking to someone in the foyer and you can just tell you're not the, the primary person they want to talk to, they have a better person in mind, maybe social climbing, looking for someone cooler, and it hurts, right? And it's lonely and it's embarrassing, but if it happens a bunch of times, if it really keeps happening in your life, it starts to do some messed up things to your mind. It starts to do... Um, Train, train of thought, asking questions like, does anyone want to be around me? Am I cool enough? Am I embarrassing to be around? Does my breath smell, right? You're starting to like psychoanalyze all that you do, just trying to realize, if, like you must be the problem, right, is where, where this lands us. But I don't know. It can be in a funny story when it's just an awkward conversation about that happened at Salt Company, an awkward interaction. But when it really starts to become frequent, then we start asking those deeper questions, like who would want to be seen with me? 
who would wanna be around someone like me. In our text tonight, Matthew 9, gives us a character, gives us a person who's all too familiar with that line of thought. See, Matthew, Matthew 9 is the call of Matthew. And Matthew, being raised as a tax collector, is so far away from asking those questions. He might have asked them when he was younger, but he hasn't thought of those in years. Because if you'd ask him, dude, who would want to be seen with someone like you? He'd confidently say no one. Or if you'd say, who would want to be around someone like you? He'd confidently say no one. I think his own parents at one point stopped talking to him because of what he's done as a tax collector. He's so disgraceful that his parents don't want to be associated with him. So as we, as we look at Matthew 9, we can get a kind of a very vulnerable, very vulnerable Matthew. Because in one sense, this is autobiographical, right? This is a, a memoir. This is Matthew's God story that he's writing out. So hopefully you've made it to Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 9, and we'll read through verse 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And as we begin to look at our text, I want us to recognize kind of a hinge point in this verse, or in these verses, which is the words, follow me by Jesus. So we can look at Matthew before Jesus says, follow me, and we can look at Matthew after, right? And as we're looking at Matthew before this, follow me words, we see Matthew in the tax booth, Matthew the tax collector, Matthew on the edge of society, Matthew who no one really wants to, no one really wants to see. And when we think of tax collectors, I don't want us to think like IRS agent. See, tax collectors in the, the Roman Empire during the first century were just despicable, hated, no integrity kind of people. The way um, tax collectors actually made their money was by overcharging people and making them pay what they didn't know. So let's say like Roman Empire needs like $50 per person. If Matthew just collected $50, Matthew's not getting paid. So Matthew's collecting 60, 70, 300, just making his money, making his wages off of ripping people off. I think um, one way we can think about this is like a car mechanic, but maybe a car mechanic who doesn't have any integrity and maybe someone like me, another thing to get to know about me, don't really know what's going on in cars. So if I'm driving my car and it starts making a weird sound, I got to take it to the mechanic. And I don't know much about cars, but you know, like sometimes you can hear the sound, and you're like, it's probably not that big of a deal. Like it's like, it's running, I'm driving it to the mechanic, but I end up pulling up to the mechanic and he starts listing off kind of in a, in a similar way. He's like, okay, we need, I don't know, $50 for a new carburetor, 30 for the radiator, um, maybe a little bit for coaxium or whatever goes into cars, right? Did anyone catch that? Coaxium? It's a Star Wars reference. It's the only thing I really know about. Um, <laughs> it's not like that, right? Um, because what a car mechanic without integrity is doing is they're actually trying to trick you into paying extra. Matthew doesn't have to do this because Matthew's actually protected by the Roman Empire. So Matthew will straight rip you off to your face. So Matthew's gonna be like, hey, $300 for the new road going through town, maybe 200 for the dock tax, $50 because his cousin's having his bar mitzvah. 
he's, I don't know, watching the most recent season of Fixer Upper, saw the whole like shiplap thing, he wants to redo his kitchen, another $400 for that. He's just like making it really clear what he's gonna steal from you. And maybe you're asking like, why don't people just pay what they actually owe? And it's because of these Roman guards and this protection Matthew has, this security Matthew has, that they're these enforcers, right? They're the ones making sure Matthew actually gets what he wants, not what is right. So all the, the Jewish people in this area, in, in, um, in this place where Matthew's collecting taxes, just view him as a traitor. Because what the Roman Empire did is how they ended up finding um, tax collectors is they just find local boys and girls and have them taxing their friends, their, their old high school buddies, their families. So Matthew isn't taxing strangers. Matthew's taxing the very people he grew up with. So I see him as this traitor to the group, an outcast, this edge of society kind of guy. And the only people who'd actually end up hanging out with Matthew were probably people just as sinful as him, other tax collectors and sinners, other people who wouldn't feel dirty if they were around Matthew because they were already feeling dirty. And no one really just wanted to come near him out of fear that they'd be contaminated. I think one more thing we can learn just from like a historical context, Matthew's tax booth, don't think like little wooden cute lemonade stand. Uh, These first century tax booths were much more like shark cages. Have you seen like Shark Week or anything? No? Yeah. Yeah, right, shark cages protect you from the great whites coming to attack you. That's literally what Matthew's tax booth is because the only reason someone would willfully come close to a tax collector would probably be to hurt him. So like Matthew's living this life in a cage, uh, totally separated from society. And no one wanted to be seen with Matthew. No one wanted to even look at Matthew. So I love the, the way right before the hinge I mentioned where it says, follow me, it says Jesus saw Matthew. I love that because a ton of people have saw Matthew in his life, right? But they see him and then they just like bounce their eyes away or like, I guess that's best case scenario. Probably more likely they'll look at him and just look at him with disgust. And Matthew's never probably seen like kind eyes or loving eyes or I don't know. After I um, graduated college, when I see like an old college buddy out of nowhere, not expecting to, just see him in the grocery store, the way they like light up and just are excited to see you Maybe it's a family reunion. Someone just lights up. Maybe it's like your grandma. Maybe it's probably Joe smiling over there every time you see someone. Just an excited look. It's like Matthew's never experienced that. Probably doesn't even know what I'm referencing. He's probably has like no context to understand that. And if you don't have a context um, to understand that too, I actually have good news. Because when Jesus saw a man named Matthew, Matthew's entire world changed. And the reason I say this is a hinge verse is what we are looking at before follow me is Matthew before he's a follower of Jesus. So we actually can see a lot about Jesus' perception of people who don't follow him. And then at the end of the hinge, we'll actually see Jesus' interactions with a follower. And there, there is a, a uniqueness to it. But the way Jesus looks at Matthew is the similar way Jesus looks at every single person in this room, in the world, whether they believe in him or not. He looks at him and he just sees someone he loves. See, Jesus' eyes are different. And I think that's why Matthew, as he's writing this down, is so quick to just be like, Jesus saw me. Because I don't think Matthew ever forgot these eyes. I think it's the, well, actually, this isn't in my notes, but. Um, COVID, masks, I was on a bunch of Zoom calls. And you can still tell what people believe or, or what people are feeling, right? When you just see their eyes. Like they can have masks on, right? Um, there's a lot of people in like Starbucks doing Zoom calls for class. 
But it's like you can tell when they're happy, you can tell when they're sad, anxious, excited. You can see a lot by a person's eyes. And I think that's why Matthew ends up like making it really clear. It's like, oh, Jesus saw me because Matthew remembers these eyes, these kind eyes, these um, eyes that light up like a friend who hasn't seen you in a while. Eyes that are just glad that they get to be around you. Really friendly eyes. And I've heard before that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And our eyes are just communicating so much. And that's what I really want. Um, one, one thing I really want you guys to notice, so whether you're a Christian in the room or not, or whatever you grew up in, I just want you to know the way Jesus sees every single person is as like valuable, precious, dignified, worthy. But Jesus doesn't just see Matthew for what he is, but he also sees Matthew for what he can become. And I think that's why when Matthew's sitting there in his tax booth writing his, writing in his notebook, Jesus says, follow me, because he sees a better life from, than, for Matthew than just sitting in the tax booth. And this way that Jesus looks at Matthew, seeing him for what he is and for what he become, is how Jesus looks at every person, regardless of if you're a Christian or not. And I want us all to recognize that. But as we continue, so Jesus says, follow me. Matthew runs out, follows him. And I can't imagine Matthew just being like, not saying anything. I'm sure he runs up, he's just like, where are we going? Like, what? Like, I've never been told to follow anyone. No one's ever invited me to anything. I've always been unwelcome. And Jesus kind of being like, dude, we're going to a party. And Matthew just kind of freezing. Sadness overtakes him as he goes, I'm not welcome at parties. He's never been welcome at parties. He's not even welcome in the synagogue, equivalent of like the Jewish church. It's like, he's so far away. He wouldn't be welcome in this room. And he knows that. And I just imagine Jesus smiling, kind of maybe, kind of maybe laughing and just being like, dude, that's not gonna be a problem because you're hosting. So Jesus ends up, you know, throwing a party in Matthew's house, throwing this dinner party. I'm sure Matthew's like, dude, I don't, no one's gonna come. Like the only people who are gonna come are other tax collectors and sinners. They're the only people who've ever stepped foot in my house. And that's been true of Matthew's previous life. And it's true now. Jesus, his disciples, and a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, that's all who shows up. And I think it says something really profound about the party, really profound about the vibe, as we read down there where it says Jesus was reclining with them. Because I don't know about you, but I don't recline everywhere. I think two things. One, I don't recline if the place is like super gross. So like, I don't know, I lived with like nine dudes one year. Dude lived in the garage, like all the rooms. I don't think there was any cleaning supplies. It was, it was bad. And everything's sticky, couch is sticky. This also isn't in my notes, so we'll see where this goes. Um, and we like have guests over or like one of my buddy's girlfriend came over and like she just like refuses to touch anything. Like it's like she's gonna get dirty. She's like all cute for a date right to go and like will not touch anything. Maybe she like sits on the couch but like sits just on the edge of it. Like doesn't want to recline because if she reclines, dirty clothes, all that, right? So reclining. You don't recline if you're afraid you're gonna get dirty, right? You're not gonna recline in a gross place. But also like reclining tells us a lot about like the people and the interaction the people had together because you don't recline with everyone. Like, you're not just going to, like, sprawl out on the floor, sprawl out on the couch. Maybe not, maybe with strangers, but, like, not people who are, like, superior or maybe, like, show themselves to be superior. Like, if one of us got invited to the Oval Office, like, we're probably not just going to, like, muddy shoes up on, on the desk, right? We're going to probably sit there, good posture, try to speak eloquently, try to be impressive, but, like, probably not be authentic. I got to get back to my notes, see where I'm going with all this. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so you might, like, that might be the, the case 
um, where you wouldn't recline. But it says a lot about the people if you're willing to just totally be yourself. Like if you're willing to recline, sprawl out, not trying to impress anyone, not worrying them. Like hopefully people are reclining in connection groups, you know? Like you just linger out because it's your friends. You don't have to clean yourself up when you're around your friends. Your friends probably know you the best, know the worst things about you, and you can still be yourself. I think Jesus here, it's the epitome of fully known and fully loved. It's like, all the, like Jesus knows everyone at this party, totally loves them. They don't have to pretend to be anything else. And what we can see here is those, those original questions, like with Matthew, edge of society, where he before would have said, who'd want to be seen with me? No one. He's now confident. It's a resounding yes. Jesus wants to be seen with me. Who'd want to be around me? A confident yes. Jesus wants to be around me. He's walking with Jesus, walking with his entourage for the first time, has been walking alone all of his life, and now as a group. So I think the, the first way, we're going to look at three ways that Jesus blesses Matthew. One, on the front side of the follow me, which is just how Matthew, or how Jesus looks at him, right? He blessed Matthew by seeing him in a way that he ought to be seen, and hang out with him and not afraid to be dirty. The, the whole reason the Pharisees ask, like, why does he eat with them? Is the Pharisees were scared that they'd be contaminated, that they'd become unclean if they were around Matthew. But Jesus sees Matthew as bearing the image of God. And that's the, that's the hinge where I want us to all sit, is when Jesus looks at anyone, he sees inherent value, inherent dignity, inherent worthiness. He sees them as an image of God, valuable in and of themselves, regardless of what they believe, what they do. There's nothing Matthew could have done to lose this. There's nothing Matthew can do to lose this. Matthew didn't have to earn this. Jesus just looks at Matthew and sees someone who is created to bear the image of God. And what a blessing to be looked at that way if you've never been looked at that like that before. And I think it's one of the things that I'm most looking forward to getting to heaven and like actually getting to see Jesus and seeing all that love through his eyes. C.S. Lewis says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is, is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub. I think that means kissing in British. Um, exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And what, what C.S. Lewis is getting at here and what he's hitting at is what Jesus has seen so clearly, that every person he comes in contact with is an immortal being, created in the image of God, deserving of love, respect, and honor. And that's it. There, there's nothing else he has to do to, to earn that. We are immortal. We should start acting like it. We should start treating others like it, right? Uh, the second way I think Jesus blesses Matthew, and this is after follow me, this hinge. And Matthew actually runs out and follows Jesus. And Matthew's being actually kind of maybe a little modest here because Mark and Luke have the same account of this event. And Luke writes, he's like, and Matthew got up, left everything and followed Jesus. And Matthew just says, he's like, oh, I got up and, and followed Jesus. And I think it says a little bit about Matthew's character, but also just like, this dude left everything. He left the tax booth. He left the security of the Roman guards, the status, the huge paycheck, he was the richest Jew in this whole civilization. So when he leaves, and Matthew says, follow me, he's saying more than follow me to a house party. He's saying, follow me till, till the end. Follow me now and forever. Follow me always. And follow me on a mission. 
And this is where we get to see Jesus blessing Matthew with an invitation into the mission of God. And for Matthew, part of this invitation looked like writing a gospel account, writing the black and the red letters, the books we're reading right now. And I'm pretty sure that's like not what (laughs) Jesus is telling you to do. So if he does tell you to write a gospel, let me know. But I think there is another unique thing that Jesus is calling us into, as he says, follow me, calling us into the mission of God. Because like I mentioned before, Matthew 9, 9 through 13 is Matthew's like most vulnerable writing. It's Matthew's God story. It's Matthew saying, this is who I was before I knew Jesus. This is who I am now. This is what I'm doing. And I do think we have the same invitation to share with people what we know to be true. Share with people with what we've experienced. Share with people how we got to know Jesus and how that's changed our lives. So I do think, while you're not gonna write an entire gospel in Matthew, Matthew 9, 9 through 13, that's Matthew's testimony. I think we can write our own. I think, I think Jesus has wrote it and will write it, but I think we can share it the way the way Matthew shared his testimony with us through these texts. I lost where I was. Give me a second. Um, oh, in the next chapter, uh, Matthew 10, we get to see Matthew actually writing about the commissioning of the 12 apostles. So Matthew 10:1. you don't have to flip there. I'll basically read the, the first verse. But Matthew's like, hey, this is the commissioning of the 12. There was Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. The tax collector. He keeps uh, referring to himself as a tax collector. Even though he's being commissioned on mission as an apostle, he still is like, this is Ma- I'm Matthew, the tax collector. And he left the tax booth. He left the sin, but he's keeping his, his story, right? He left the, the life of the tax collector behind him, but he's keeping the name because he knows that name resounds throughout the community. He knows that there are other tax collectors out there who resonate with him. And Matthew... And, that, and that's, uh, again, the, the invitation to share, share our story, is that we have a unique story. You have a unique story, if you're, if you're a Christian, that actually connects with someone else, that resonates with someone else. Matthew, the, the, this house party Matthew throws, there's other tax collectors there. We'll see later on, there's, Matthew keeps writing about these interactions with tax collectors. Because Matthew's saying, Lord can save. the Lord can save a tax collector like me. He can save a tax collector like you. And I remember... Dude, I'm not following my notes at all. I remember uh, a guy in college, Jonah. Um, well, we'll get personal here. Um, yeah, I was in the party scene throughout high school, didn't really want to be a part of it in college. And I remember a guy named Jonah. He was a junior when I was a freshman. And he's telling me this story and the struggle with alcohol he had. And he invites me in. He's like, dude, you can, you can walk away. Like, he knew I wasn't appreciate. like, I wasn't, enjoying it, but I didn't know anything else. Like, I didn't know I could leave. Uh, and Jonah's telling me his story. He's telling me where he was at, stuck in this party scene, how he met Jesus, how he walked away and abstained uh, from alcohol till he was 21. And it blew my mind. And I think that's what Matthew's doing here with other tax collectors. While he's like going back and sharing these stories, it's like, I'm sure he's blowing these tax collectors' mind. Cause it's like, yeah, we know Jesus like probably died, or they don't know Jesus. Um, God is here. He loves these Pharisees. He loves all these religious people. He loves the people who go to church, perfect church attenders. But it's like not, 
not like tax collectors like us. And I'm sure it just blew their mind. I think that's an invitation for us to go out and share your story as it connects with others. And I do want to be, be clear on something too, because Matthew's story is kind of crazy. I'm sure you're not tax collectors stealing from your friends, family, all the people you care about stealing from the other people in this room. But I saw a, an article actually this morning on Instagram. Um, I think Harris Creek's Instagram is some church somewhere. Um, and this girl is basically writing about, she said, I used to be embarrassed by my testimony. I used to be embarrassed by my God story. People would go around sharing. They'd say, oh, this is how I would say this, is how I met Jesus. And she's like, mine's nothing special. And just to like talk to that for a second, like you're probably undervaluing the work that Jesus did in your life, the work Jesus did on the cross. If you're going around telling people your, your story isn't anything special. Like it might like be an insecurity for you, but I want to say that does definitely resound and definitely connect with other people. And like, if Jesus took you from a sinner to a saint, if Jesus forgave your sins, it doesn't matter if you're five years old, got baptized when you were six, leading small groups the whole time, or if it was college or if it was post-college, it literally doesn't matter. It's a miracle if you see a sinner go and become a saint. Okay, I, got, I really got to get back on track, see where I'm going with this. Okay. Yeah, so Jesus sees Matthew as the image of God, invites Matthew into the mission of God. And the final blessing I think Matthew, or Jesus gives to Matthew is an invitation into the people of God. See, this party that Matthew's throwing at his house, where Jesus is reclining, these other tax collectors and sinners are reclining, you can look at the last part, at least in the CSB version, the last part has, and his disciples. That Jesus' other disciples came over to, to Matthew's house. It wasn't just Jesus, the friend of sinners, but all these Christians called to be friends of sinners, all these followers of Christ, called to enter into the tax collector's house. And I think that the other disciples probably have every reason to hate Jesus. We can look, or to hate Matthew. Sorry about that one. Um, We can look at Mark's account of this story, this calling of Matthew. And Mark tells us he's like the, the tax booth where he was sitting was close to the seashore, which pretty much means that Matthew primarily was ripping off fishermen. And what we know from Matthew 1 through 8 is that the first six disciples, Matthew's the seventh, the first six that are walking up were all fishermen. So when Jesus tells Matthew, follow me, these six disciples aren't saying like, oh, that stranger Matthew's going to join. It's like, no, that's Matthew who's been stealing my money for years. Like Peter's married. Peter's probably thinking, he's like, my wife goes to bed hungry because that dude steals my money. Like the, the disciples have every reason. They've been personally hurt by Matthew, but they're still reclining in his house. I think that says an insane thing, a countercultural thing about Christian community, but just the invitation to be a part of something, an invitation for Matthew to have friends that he's never had. And yeah, when Matthew, Matthew 10, which I referenced before in, in maybe the mission of God that Matthew was invited into, like Matthew's writing down those names and he's like, this is my crew. These are my dudes. This is the first group of people I've ever been in. The first group chat I've been a part of where I'm confessing sin to, the, the guys I'm sharing my cool Bible thoughts that I had. Um, these are his boys, right? Sharing prayer requests. I think it meant a lot to Matthew to be a part of the people of God because it's the very next chapter where he's like, Dude, these, are, these are the people, these are my friends. First ones I've ever had. And what does this all mean? What, um, 
What is this answer that we know that Jesus views Matthew as the image of God, that he invites him into the mission of God, that he invites him into the people of God? I think it says a lot about what a healthy relationship looks like, a healthy friendship looks like. It's a, a teammate locking arms, going towards a common mission together, unified, right? Jesus' perception of Matthew, inherently valuable. We've probably all at some point been in a relationship where people did not look at you valuably. People maybe were frequent in your life. They were always around. But when they saw you, they weren't treating you like you were bearing the image of God. And the way Jesus looks at us is he sees something valuable. He sees something wonderful. And so as we, we answer the series question, who is Jesus? The, the answer that we can come to is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And the way Matthew, I'm sure Matthew would say, he'd be like, yes, Jesus, the friend of sinners. But he would just cling to this idea, Jesus, the friend of Matthew. And I think it's a, something I've had to tell myself over and over again. That it's like, Jesus, the friend of Rainer. And I know Joe over there, he's sitting there, he's thinking, Jesus, the friend of Joe. It's, there's the call of Matthew, but there's the call of Rainer, there's the call of Joe, there's the call of anyone else. Josiah, wherever he's at, your name thought, thought of you. Uh, Jesus is calling us in as friends. Martin Luther, um, he's a Protestant reformer, 1517, allegedly. Uh, this definitely isn't in my notes, but I was talking to some leaders earlier and they were asking me about things I appreciate. Church history, I think it's really cool. Protestant Reformation, 1517, church in Wittenberg, Germany. Martin Luther grabs these 95 theses that he's writing, nails it on the church. Or basically, this is what starts the Protestant Reformation. We're sitting here today with, in an elder-led church because of it. Uh, but that's just a quick thing on Martin Luther, German monk, whatever. But he says, when Satan tells me I am a sinner, he comforts me immeasurably since Christ died for sinners. And to maybe um, amend it a bit, the thing I've been clinging to is when Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he comforts me immeasurably because Christ is a friend of sinners. So he wants, to, he wants to recline with us. And he's not gonna leave the party at Matthew's early because he has a better place to be. He's not gonna be looking over your shoulder in the foyer just trying to find a better conversation. He's gonna sit with you. He wants to go any place you go. He wants to match his schedule to yours. He wants to be with you all the time. He's the kind of friend who texts first, trying to make plans. He's the kind of friend who always texts back the kind of friend who answers the FaceTime on the first ring because he's available, accessible, wants to be with us forever. What a friend. He's not gonna leave us. He's gonna be with us. He's gonna rejoice when we rejoice and he'll mourn when we'll mourn. And throughout history, Jesus has been called many names. But the name friend of sinners was following Jesus way before he died and rose again. Friend of sinners, which was meant as an insult, which was that anyone else who kept that name would try to wash it off them, try to step away, change their entire life so they could get rid of it. But Jesus wore it proudly like a badge of honor. It was meant as an insult, became an anthem. And Jesus goes, yes, I'm Jesus, friend of sinners. He took pride in the fact that he went to the lowest of people. There's, a, there's an old, uh, old church hymn that I wanna close us out with. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. If y'all will pray with me.
Jesus, friend of sinners, friend of Matthew, friend of, friend, friend of Rainer, be close to us this week. Be our closest friend. Teach us to look into your eyes and be overcome by the joy that you see when you see us. Give us opportunities and boldness in sharing our God stories with those around us.